Thank you. You can be seated. Well, we are continuing our series called Love in Christ, where we're looking at, together at the book of 1 John. We spent some time over the last couple of weeks looking at uh, 1 John chapter 1, and now we're going to transition uh, into 1 John chapter 2, where there is a bit of an abrupt change uh, that happens, which I'm going to talk about uh, in just a minute. But this book uh, is a fascinating book that I think helps us to think through what it means to love each other in Christ, what it means to uh, live in, in relationship with each other, and to understand how difficult it can sometimes be to live into what Christ calls us to do, which is uh, extravagant love that sometimes uh, doesn't make sense. It's difficult for us to really live out uh, what it is that God calls us to. We know that that's true, but I think that 1 John helps us to realize just how difficult that might be. 1 John chapter 2 begins like this. He says, my children, my dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin, which is kind of a high bar. But um, my dear children, I'm, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. And you can imagine that John, as he's writing to this community, this group of people in the church that he loves deeply, he's kind of saying, okay, gather around and listen to this. This is important. You need to come together and hear this. This is important for you to realize. And it's a different tone than 1 John chapter 1. If you go to the next slide for me, 1 John chapter 1 uh, starts this way, and it's just beautiful and epic in how he writes about Christ. And what's interesting is you see all those words that are up there on the screen, these first four verses in 1 John, they actually change them in the English grammar, but in the original Greek, this was all just one run-on sentence. Like, it's just going after it, right? It's just from the very beginning, throw all you learned in fourth grade grammar out the window, basically. And we're just going to town on this. This is like that person who just doesn't stop talking, right? And you have to just learn to walk away from them, even as they're still talking. And if you don't know someone like that, I always say you might be that person. But uh, there's people that I know who, like, you literally just have to just, like, slowly back away, even as they're talking to you. And you get about 100 feet away, then they know, like, okay, I think the conversation's over now. And that's just how how it goes. People sometimes are, are like that. They just are, are, are talking and, and saying all of these things. And this is what it's like here. First John is telling us this. Everything that you learn in fourth grade is thrown out the window. And it's similar to maybe the first time that you were in love with someone, right? And you would make them mixtapes or write them little songs or do whatever it is. And you would journal about how great it was to be in relationship with them. There was a girl that I was dating in high school, and she wrote me an 18-page letter, which is a bit hard to believe that I ever was the object of someone's adoration for 18 pages. But the letter was pretty great. It would say like, hey, sorry, I went to dinner, but now I'm back. And it's like, you're writing me a letter. I don't really need that. But uh, that was little extra uh, information, and uh, it was a very odd letter. My cousin was living with us at the time, and I showed it to him, and he said, I don't think you're as into this girl as she is to you. And things didn't work out very well in the end. It was a bit of a train wreck towards the end because he was right. But what it was it in that first person that you felt that deep connection with? And you would just write about them or whatever it is, you just love them. And this is the way, one thing that's so profound, I think, about the writings of John is this is what he writes like about Jesus. In John chapter 1 in the gospel, he just says, like, the Word was God. The Word was with God. It's just epic and beautiful. And the same is true all through the first chapter of John, that, that in him he showed us real life. He showed us what it is to live in the way that God would want us to live. 
So he writes in this big way about who Jesus is, and then he says to this community, now, my dear friends, this is going to have some implications for your life. I'm writing all this stuff about Jesus, and it's going to impact the way that you live in the world. And scholars aren't exactly sure what was going on in this church, but the one thing they are sure about is there's some sort of conflict going on. There's some issue that has come up. There's some split that might be starting to happen. And scholars are unsure about which one it is, but they're speculating it's one of these three things. If you go to the next slide for me, Chen. Either about the nature of Jesus, was he divine or was he human? How exactly did that work? Secondly, it might have been an argument over um, sin and salvation, what that is and the relationship of that to, to human. And then an issue surrounding your obligation to love your neighbor. Like just how much do you have to love your neighbor and who is your neighbor? Which ones are you supposed to? Are there some people that you don't have to love? Because that'd be pretty nice, right? If you could say like that group of people I don't have to worry about. Like how is it that Uh, you're supposed to live this out. And as you look at all three of those things, and in some ways I'm glad that we don't know as much about like exactly what this one issue was, like all those things I would say are worth fighting for, right? And they're worth hard conversations. They're worth figuring out, okay, where exactly do we stand? What are we supposed to do? And people would have passionate decisions and, and stances on either side of this. And so, John writes to this church and writes about how big Jesus is and the nature of who Jesus is. And then he says, and my dear friends, that affects how you love each other. Even on a controversial issue, perhaps. So Tom and Sam, you guys have to start talking again. Because of who Jesus is, you can't live at odds with each other. And in some ways, it's comforting that so soon into the history of the church, they're already having issues, right? Because we're a couple thousand years away from this, and we think, man, it's sometimes hard. It's hard to figure out Christian love. It's hard to live in community together. It's difficult for us to figure that out. But from the very beginning, after Jesus was here, they were having the same struggles. They were trying to figure out exactly what is it that they were called to do, or how are they supposed to love each other? Because living in Christian community can be difficult at times. Uh, We've talked about how in the restoration movement, the history of Churches of Christ, one of the leaders was a guy named Thomas Campbell, and one of the reasons why the Churches of Christ were started was to help unite people because Thomas Campbell was part of this church, an old light, anti-burger, seceder, Presbyterian church. And every single one of those words is a split. That's a mouthful, isn't it? I mean, if you're just going to make a banner, that's ridiculous, right? I mean, how are you even going to put that together? And we think of that as as weird and think of like, whoa, what does all that mean? But we could do the same thing for Church of Christ, right? We could do anti-kitchen, anti-clapping. I mean, we could go down that list. And we could say, like, I'm split here. I'm, I'm on this decision because of that. And so we have company with the earliest church that figuring some of this stuff out was hard. People have been wrestling with Christian love and how to do it in community since the beginning. And so John says, my dear children, because of who Jesus is, I'm writing you so that you will not sin. That you will not continue in these patterns of of brokenness and some of these things that are really hard to figure out together in community. But if you do sin, 
We have an advocate who pleads our case with the Father. The word advocate there is, is a word that is used to describe Jesus' spirit, the Holy Spirit in the world. And the word advocate in, in Greek is paraclete. And the first part of that word is para, which is to the side of. And the second part of that word is from the root keleo, which means to speak or call or encourage. So the literal understanding of that word is very beautiful. The, the paraclete, the messenger of Jesus in our world, comes to us to speak messages of encouragement and hope. The paraclete comes to move in us and to speak messages that will change the world. We have people, we have the the presence of God cheering us on in the world. And maybe you're at a point in your life when you're just at the end of your rope. And you're struggling and you're wondering if you can take one more step or if you can continue in this. Just know that the way this word is used, it's describing this messenger that comes to your side and says, I'm with you. I'm cheering you on. I know it's hard right now, but you can do it. And then John brings up this legal scene, basically, that this advocate speaks to, speaks to the Father on our behalf, that there is someone who is, is speaking to God on our behalf. So if you do sin, there is someone who is arguing your case before God, who's saying, yeah, I know there's brokenness here, there's dysfunction, this person ain't quite right, but there's a paraclete who has the ear of the judge. The courtroom is rigged in your favor. God deeply loves you. Then John continues, the paraclete is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of the world. This has echoes of John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever would believe in him would not perish or would have eternal life. The love of God extends not just to you, but to the world. And there's one issue with that, is that you can't keep it for yourself. Because you want to be forgiven when you need it, but then you have to extend that beyond yourself. You have to figure out how to forgive. And then John continues with this important thought, which I think is really the central argument of his uh, entire book, perhaps. He says, we know we are in tune with Jesus as we keep his commands. As you read that, you might think, well, what are the commands? What are the things that we're supposed to keep? How do we keep in step? How do we keep walking with Jesus? And the issue is that John has already told us. Remember, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, they're continuations, like how Hollywood has no new ideas, basically. It's a continuation of John's gospel. And so he's saying, keep in touch with Jesus. We, We walk in step with Jesus as we keep his commands. And the thing is, in John, Jesus is pretty clear as far as commands. John 13, 34, I don't have these on the screen, but John 13, 34 says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I've loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. John 15, 12 through 14, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I've loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. John 15, 17, this is my command. Love each other. And then later in 1 John chapter 2, he says, Dear friends, I'm not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it's an old one you've had uh, from the beginning. And this is just coming up over and over again. This is the command. Love each other. And we want to keep that vague sometimes and say, Oh, well, I'll try to follow like all the commands of Jesus. But what John is referencing here is 
Jesus has given us this command, and it is to love each other in profound and significant ways. Because of how loved you are by God, you then have to love each other. And John communicates this idea of of teleos, which um, we translate as kind of made complete. You're made complete in God. And it's not that you're ever going to arrive at perfection because loving people like Jesus does is like every single day there's a new level. It's like a video game. And every single day there's somebody who you're going to have to figure out exactly how to love. And it's hard. It's hard to live in this way. It's hard to live in this sort of community. We know that love sometimes can be hard. We know that love stinks, as some people have said. There was a story at the beginning of, of last year, 2017, which is a kind of tragic story. It ends up in a weird space. There's a 70-year-old man who was married to his wife for 15 years, and he showed up at a bank in Kansas City with a note and just handed it to the teller and said, I have a gun. Give me all, all, all your money. And um, so this teller had $3,500, so she gives him the, the $3,500, and then... Um, he just goes and he sits down in the lobby. And the security is a bit confused. What is this guy doing? What's going on? And they walk over to him and say, hey, sorry, but you just robbed the bank. This is kind of awkward. I don't know. I don't know what to do. And what he said is really sad. He said, uh, well, just go ahead, lock me up. And they said, uh, what? I just don't understand. This. He said, I would rather go to prison than spend one more day with my wife. That is literally what he said, and it's, whoo, brutal. Um, And the worst part, at least for him, is they found out that he didn't actually have a gun, and then they ended up arguing that he was in a depressive episode, and that was what caused him to do this. So his punishment, he had a few months in prison, but then six months of house arrest, which... I, that is really hard to come back from, right? That is like, you're just like, hey, honey, I'm back. Like, I don't really know um, how that happens. And one of the reasons why, like, this story is, is so strange and a little bit funny to us is we kind of know that the people that we're closest to can drive us the craziest, Right? The people who we spend the most time with, the people that we're close to in, in, in community or, or whatever, it's those people who can drive us the craziest. And you know what it is to sometimes feel like, you know what, I'm just, I'm giving up. Whatever it is on this marriage or this family or my friendship, like I'm just over and this thing is done. My brother and I, growing up, I've never fought with anyone like I fought with my brother. He was two years younger than me, and there was a time in high school where he slowly became better than me at basketball, and that is still painful to this day for me to admit. But we would fight like nobody's business. We got to a point that we learned to fight each other when our parents were gone and then just settle it so we didn't get in trouble in addition to the bruises um, that we had. And now my brother and I have a good relationship. We haven't fought in a very long time. But the people who are closest to you you know can push your buttons. Because I knew right when my brother was getting to that point, if I sang the song, Big Girls Don't Cry, it was going to go nowhere good. And I knew exactly what button to push. 
So you know what it is for a guy to show up and say, I'm tired of this marriage, lock me up, right? I mean, hopefully you aren't considering that. But we know what it is to realize that the people that we are closest to, the people that we love, can deeply hurt us. Can sometimes prod us in in ways that nobody else can. John, I think, is writing honestly to this community and saying, yeah, I, I get that. I get that it's hard for you to love that guy because over this issue, like, he's been a jerk. But you're called to. And the question isn't whether or not you will someday be hurt by someone you love. The question is, will you forgive them or not? You will be hurt from time to time by people that you love. And it's a lot easier to celebrate the forgiveness than it is to forgive. It's a lot easier to just, you know, take the blessings of Jesus and be thankful for them and just to dwell there than it is to move past. And and John says, you know, I'm going to talk about the advocate and how you have this this Jesus who is arguing your case in front of God. I'm going to tell you all that stuff, but no, that leads to at some point you have to follow what he's commanded. That you have to love each other. And church, he's writing to people who have some serious issues, some big things to argue about. And he says, you might have some serious differences of opinion, that you are on one side and, and he is on the other, but you need to figure out how to love each other because that is how you show the world the love of Christ. I think one of the problems in um, the American church is we focus a lot on the wrong thing. Like if you think about like what churches are trying to guard today, generally we think about it as like guarding doctrine, right? You know, like be really careful. We got to get all these things right and we have to think about like all this stuff and guard your doctrine. What John is saying is guard your love. Like that is the thing that you need to figure out how to guard. That is the thing that you need to figure out in a profound way. Be really, really vigilant about guarding your love. He says, dear children, I've seen miracles. I've seen amazing things about Jesus. I'm going to write an ode to Jesus here, but come together because that has implications for how you live. You're going to be distracted by a number of things. Guard your love. Be extravagant in how you love people. And the good news is the gospel truly changes the world, changes the world, and churches have changed the world who do this well. You guys know maybe that uh, my little girl Nora was in the hospital uh, for a week, a few weeks ago. And uh, luckily she's okay. It was a, a cold virus that is dangerous in kids, but she ended up okay. But while we were there, uh, one thing I want to tell you if you want to, be more thankful for your life, spend time in a pediatric ward in a hospital. Because there are some people who go through really difficult things. And while we were there, we saw kids in wheelchairs and uh, a little girl who couldn't see. And it makes you just appreciate what you have. (laughs) But the reason why, like we care about things like that and we care about kids like that is because of early Christian communities because in Rome it was just thought to be okay that if your kid was born with some sort of 
issue or handicap, you could just put your kid out at a dump. It didn't really matter because it was going to be hard to raise that child. And the early Christians were known for going in and rescuing those kids and taking care and creating space for those kids to be loved. And the reason why we tear up when we see those commercials, the reason why we tear up when we see kids in those kind of circumstances or when we see videos like what we saw today with uh, Chris and Crystal and the work that they're doing with some kids who are in difficult circumstances, it's because the Christian message has changed the world. And early Christian communities were loving people and extravagant in what they did because extravagant love changes the world. So John is writing to this group of people and he says, I know you have some issues with each other. There's some things that you will never really be able to be, be solved, but if you will guard your love, you'll change the world. If you would make that your thing, that you would guard your love, that you would guard your fellowship, that you would guard that, you truly can change the world. Dear children, God is for us. And that's really good news. But it also means that God is for that other person as well. And that's not as good news to us sometimes because we want God to be on the side of everything that we are on. But God is instead trying to transform our lives and our hearts to be the kind of people who truly love in a way that changes the world. But we're going to sing a song right now, which is a great closer uh, to this sermon. Be still, my soul, the Lord is is on thy side. And I hope that you will, as you sing this song, reflect on the fact that God is with you, that God is is for you, that God is on your side. But then that deeply impacts the way that we choose to love the world. Because in communities, in families, people who are closest to us can harm us, can hurt us the most. But may we choose to love in the kind of way that God loves us. That even though we are guilty, there is an advocate who argues. May we have the kind of love that changes the world. Let's pray. God, as we consider who you are calling us to be, may we truly strive to be your children. May we strive to love the people who you call us to. Father, may we be still because you are on our side. Father, may we from that love love other people. In your son's name I pray, amen.